Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show. On today's episode, we're going to be doing the final word from Saturday's travesty against Newcastle United at home and hoping that things get slightly better this Sunday as we preview our trip over to the London Stadium to face West Ham. We'll look at Fulham's latest injury crisis. We've also got some of your questions and then this will catch on at the end. And in part two, I'm going to be speaking to Martin Calladay. Now, you might not be aware of Martin. Um, He's an investigative journalist who is looking into Fulham's new partnership with a company called Titan Capital Markets. It's pretty wild to say the least. Martin is a fantastic investigative journalist. Some of the work that he has done on this is astounding and he has found some serious shortcomings with Fulham's new partner. You remember a few weeks ago uh, I did that chat with Philippe O'Claire about W88, Fulham's sponsor, and this is very much in the same league as that. So uh, stay tuned in part two uh, to hear what Martin has to say. But until I speak to Martin, it is the Thursday Club. So I am joined by Peter Rutzler. Hello. Hey, Sammy. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thank you. And stepping in for Jack Collins, who's away on his holidays in Italy this week, it's Drew Heatley. Hello. Hi, Sammy. Now, now I've done Peter and Jack in recent weeks. Does that make me the Bobby Decodover reader of the Thursday mm. Club? You very much are the Bobby Decadove. That's exactly um, how I see you. Always prolific when you come on as well. And you do a job at the highest level, which Excellent. I guess is the, uh, is the ultimate compliment. Excellent. I'll take that. Even, and also, even when things are tough, like on Saturday, still pops in with a great contribution. So I, I think if there's any Fulham player you want to be compared to in this role, Bobby Decadova reed is definitely the one, isn't he? Mr. Reliable himself. Right, let's do then... Um, the final word on Newcastle from Saturday, not going to lie. If there was a game this season that I was going to miss, um, I think I chose uh, a pretty good one. Um, Peter, it was just, it was just a horror show. Wasn't it really red card, four goals shipped, Mitrovic hobbling off. It, it couldn't have gone any worse. I don't think other than maybe had Bert Leno not made a few more saves and it could have been five or six. Yeah. Yeah. Some credit for Bert Leno, I think. And that's probably the, the limit of the, the silver linings. Um, yeah, I mean, I, even even from kickoff though, it did it did the way the game started. It did feel like Newcastle were I don't know Eddie Howard called it. You know, they were in the mood or something, and it did it did feel like they were they'd started quite strongly. Um, but I did feel sorry for all the supporters and everyone once the once the red card happened because you could just see in that sort of five, ten minute period after the red card, the pattern of the game and how Fulham were sort of coping without, uh, with a man fewer. And and it just, yeah, from there on in, it it wasn't great. And I think the frustrating part is that Fulham didn't really make it that difficult in that first half. You know, the the first goal was a poor one. Um, Not not much you can do about the second, but there was none of that aggression that sort of characterised the team. And, you know, part part of that is how they decided to approach it. You know, trying to contain and trying to step off and and keep keep space tight. But um, in the end, it was a little too easy for Newcastle. And I think just before half time, after the second goal, I mean, the floodgates sort of opened. So yeah, not much fun on the spectacle front. I don't think, um, and a shame. But yeah, one to sort of you know got right off quickly, I suppose. 
Yeah, Drew, this is now the moment where either Saturday can be recorded as a blip or it can start to be something um, that's a much larger problem. I mean, we all went into that Newcastle game literally saying, actually, if we get a draw out of this, we've lost Polina, we've got other players coming back from injury. A lot of us said a draw would be a good result. So in some ways, it wasn't um, an outcome that Fulham fans... I don't know if we saw what happened coming, but we knew it was going to be a tough-ish afternoon at the office, even though Newcastle had, had a poor start. I think without Polina, we, we knew this was going to be a difficult one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Newcastle, they they had been threatening. I think, you know, there's a lot of draws. They weren't getting beat easily. And I think, uh, you know, if it was us, I think we would have all been saying, you know, we, we're good at, we've got a spanking in us coming uh, to give somebody. And I think that's what what really came with Newcastle. But again, you know, it's been said it was a difficult, it's a difficult game to judge because we were without Polina. You know, we learn, you learn more in defeat than you do in victory. And I think what we learned sadly was things that we, I think we already knew, you know, we're, we're light in the fullback positions in terms of the, the guys coming in, either lack of match fitness or, or, lack of adapt, uh, time to adapt to a different league that that was obvious and and we obviously knew that Chalaba was not Polina but yeah I think uh, you're exactly right it's uh, the learnings that we have taken have to be put into practice this week and I think West Ham away you know actually isn't a, a terrible fixture to come back to they've obviously got their win last weekend but they've not had a, a, a great start a definitely uh, objectively not had a great start so uh, if we can uh, get Polina back into the fold and and uh, and take some uh, lick our wounds and take these learnings on, I think it's a good game to go back to. Uh, certainly, one that I think that we could uh, get a point from if we uh, if we're on form and on song. I mean, Peter, this has gone from a couple of injuries now to what I would border on a crisis. So, Anthony Robinson still not back, although. I was surprised to not see him on the team sheet. When a player does the social media post the day before a game, I always think that's a sure sign that they're starting. So when it was Kazawa, I was a bit surprised. I know that that's a, like quite a fickle reason to think someone's starting, but normally that does indicate that someone's playing. Um, but so we still got Robinson coming back. We don't know what the situation is there. Tete now presumably injured. Again, don't fully know the extent. You might. Willian injured. And, and I'm hearing rumours of two months for, for Willian. I don't, that's not being confirmed anywhere, but that's what I'm hearing. We always had Wilson and Solomon. Now also Mitrovic hobbling off. If all of these don't fix themselves quickly, especially in such a crucial month, I mean, this is six starters, really. Willian maybe is borderline starter, but five starters plus one good squad player. I'd say that's a crisis. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm loath to say it's a crisis until we know for sure on some of these. Um, I think the Mitrovic one, I mean, Silva referred after the game to the international break and his injury against Sweden, so after he scored the hat-trick. But then he, he then played 90 minutes for Serbia and Norway. Um, I, I mean, he had some ice on his on his foot when he went off at half-time. It didn't seem to be sort of walking off gingerly. I mean, this is pure, purely speculating on what you see of him. Um, mm. So I, 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 I don't, that doesn't look too bad, but you know, I eat my words come, come press conference end of the week. Um, Ansi Robinson's interesting because he, so Silver said after the game that he trained two or three times in the week uh, and then had a little setback. Um, that was his words uh, and would need to be assessed. So as you say, the fact that he wasn't in the squad is kind of a concern. Um, 
un- unless the setback is like a, a new injury, then you'd hope it wouldn't be too serious. You know, with an ankle ankle injury, you know, you, you take it as you feel it, I suppose. And if you feel uncomfortable, you take a little longer. Um, probably similar to, to Harry Wilson, who Silver said would be in the next sort of 10 to 15 days. Um, so again, I don't know how serious that is. Kenny Tete was a small problem again. I mean, this, you know, dealing with the, the vagaries here of, of Silver's words, but um, he said it was similar to Robinson. So again, in, in the context of Robinson, don't know how serious it will be, but obviously Kenny's injury history suggests that, you know, this isn't new, is it? I mean, every season there's been a little issue at some point. So hopefully yeah. for him, it's not too bad because I've, I actually think he started the season really, really well. But both fullbacks have, haven't they, really, yeah. in that back four, um, really showcasing their defensive attributes, their one-on-one ability. And that's what Tete's been so good at. Um, yeah, and as you say, on on William, William Silver said was more serious. So I, I don't know the time frame myself, but he said it was his calves. And um, that looks like it could be, could be more of an issue. But I, I guess the only thing to look out for is Harry Wilson. Um, because I, I have a feeling he's not going to be too far. Um, it, obviously, it's difficult because of how long he's been out for, and it depends when he wants to be brought back. But uh, maybe if he returns, that'll be that'll be a boost. And this is the thing, like that's why I wouldn't want to say crisis just yet because it, it doesn't without time frames, of course. But also, it doesn't seem like there are many serious ones. Mar mainly mainly William and, and obviously Manor Solomon as well. Kazawa um, is is you know. It's an open question, to be honest. What, what what's happened with him? Because he's yes. clearly come in and he's not fit. Um, he's been, you know, he's been doing fitness work and trying to get him up to speed. Um, I think Silver said afterwards he could do an hour or seventy minutes was the plan. It didn't last till half time. Depends if that that knock was any anything specific or, or just a case of look, I can't, I can't keep going on. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not one to say crisis just yet. But the names we're talking about are obviously, as you say, Sammy, important ones. So um, fingers crossed that they don't seem to be as serious as they as they could well be. Yeah, I just hope so. I mean, Drew, a lot has been made of these behind closed doors friendlies. Um, that's where Willian apparently picked up his injury um, again, a behind closed doors friendly against uh, Watford. I don't know where Kenny Tete uh, picked up his injury, if if anywhere. I mean. We had this debate before, like it, it, it's just it's just bad luck, isn't it? There's no reason why behind closed doors friendlies should necessarily equal injuries. And there was a point on Sunday's pod that we played more games than this last year and they were fully competitive matches. We're just this is bad luck, isn't it? Really? I'm not I don't think that unless you are someone that's a medical expert and you can maybe investigate how the players are training, that we can put this down to anything more than just literally luck yeah i think um regardless of where you stand on the these uh relatively new concept of these these behind closed doors friendly mid-season i think uh, it is exactly just it's just poor luck I and mean, when something bad happens you know i think human nature is to in- instantly try and find something to to blame if only to make ourselves feel better but i think it's just it is just rotten rotten luck and uh willian today hearing about that earlier it's just it's just uh it is a bit mind blowing, but yeah, I agree with Peter completely. It's like uh, midweek pre-game is always quite a real, a real difficult time to try and gauge anything until Marco comes out and, and sort of sets the record straight um, on what's going on. And until we know the timeframes, uh, it's difficult to know. I mean, I, 
I echo what was said on Sunday about Mitro. Maybe it was maybe if we're in that game and it's a closer game in the first half, maybe he stays on for a bit longer. But I, I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping that's just uh, something that he'll recover from quickly. But yeah, just bad luck at the moment. Um, and you know, is it a crisis? I think time will tell. Specifically, 1 p.m. on Friday. Yeah, we'll see what Marco Silva says, as he says, uh, Drew mentioned in his press conference, and we'll find out a little bit more. But. It's just it's just killing the vibe slightly, these injuries. Obviously, it was such a good start to the season. And it's a lot of things fears being confirmed. Like, okay, maybe this season started off a lot better than we expected, but we knew that the depth was thin. And I think we clearly saw that against Newcastle on Saturday, that our second string is not going to be capable of holding our own in, in many games. This I don't season. know. I don't know. I mean, it's, that's such an uh, individual game. Like it's, it's, it's even, and I know, you know Chalmers had two bad games now in a row and it's going to be difficult for him when you, you have Crawley and then you, you make the mistake that he did. But at the same time, like, I feel like in terms of sample of how we're assessing players, it's still very small, you know, and especially the Newcastle game because of the fact it was against 10 men and clearly the team underperformed. I felt they were a bit too passive, as I was saying earlier, and weren't as aggressive enough. But, you know, I, 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 there's still time. I mean, even like Mbappe, who was subbed before half time and sort of said it was a technical decision, which is probably the worst you can probably hear, which basically says I've taken you off because I didn't want you to carry on. Um, he still put, came on and changed the game against Brentford. You know, we haven't, we've seen him play as a left back, which clearly isn't his best position. And then also against 10 men, you know, it's, it's one of those things. And obviously, because oh, we haven't actually seen properly yet because he's not clearly not fully fit. So I, I, for sure, I mean, it's not the most encouraging. <laughs> Certainly, Newcastle was not the most encouraging, but again, I still feel it's pretty early and um yeah let's let's see let's see there aren't many teams though in the premier league that could potentially lose five plus one first teamers as we mentioned and, and still cope unless you are in the top six seven man city could cope with five losing five first teams. oh 100 yeah you yeah, know yeah, i completely agree about that yeah definitely because you know it's every every team seems to have their key players as well um and only the, the best ones seem to have the, the squad depth to cope but that said newcastle were out some key players on saturday too and they said it's all right yeah, and I guess that was part of the disappointment, wasn't it? Well, this wasn't a game that was a throwaway, was one that we never expected to win. Yes, we knew it would be difficult with our scenario, but they also were missing players. And so whilst I kind of would have taken a draw, but that's still a point that I think Fulham could have picked up if we'd have had our first team out there. I mean, I think if we had our first team, if we had Polina, Robinson, Tete, Mitch Fitch fully fit, I, I, I think it was a winnable game on, on Saturday, but... Look, it's the benefit of our great start that we can have a blip. What we can't afford, Drew, is for this blip to become a long, extended losing run. West Ham on Sunday, not the game I'd have chosen, really, to try and get us back to form. Um, but, you know, they've had a, a bit of a weird start to the season, Um they play in Andelect on Thursday, which is why our game is on the Sunday in the Europa League. Not an um, easy game um, to play three days before ours. How do you see this one going? Because um, obviously they've been absolute dynamite for the last couple of seasons. Slightly ropey start. But I don't think we can ever go to a game against a side like West Ham and think we're favourites because clearly there's a lot of talent in the side and they brushed Wolves aside on Saturday with a couple of uh, tremendous goals. It was actually the only game I caught over the weekend at uh, 2am in some random bar in Singapore. <laughs> well, I think um, 
I think I'd much rather be playing West Ham now than I would have done in, at any point in the last two years. So there's that, I guess. Um, <laughs> there are, you know, I'm going to trot out there are no easy games in the Premier League, but uh, you mentioned they brushed aside Wolves. We are a much better side than Wolves this term in the part, in the first, uh, if the first sort of eight games or anything to go by. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that, that says at least something as well. Um, yeah, I think playing them after a European night in a game where, you know, it's not, a, the, we're still in the very early stages of the European competition for them, for any team. So it's going to be, it's not going to be a second string West Ham side that they put out on Thursday. So I think that can only benefit us as well. Um, you know, I I agree with Peter in terms of, um, you know, the Mbabu stuff. I think uh, it's it's very early to, to make a judgment on him yet. So I, I do expect it, him probably to come back in if we haven't got Anthony Robinson. Um so that that would be good. I mean, in terms of the last word for me on on sort of Chalibur as well is that I think it's three strikes and you're out. And uh, typically, and he's had two two big ones. But I think you know, he yeah, somebody made the point. We will see him again this term because we have we can't afford not to. So we haven't got the, we haven't got the players. So I mean, we won't see him on Saturday, on Saturday, on Sunday, of course. So that's something. But uh, yeah, that'd be think, something, wouldn't it? If we saw him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I would. Uh, then I'd maybe uh, yeah, probably say be a bit shocked about that one. But uh, yeah, I don't know. West Ham. I think bottom line with them is I'd rather play them Sunday than I would have any point in the last 24 months. I mean, Skamaka seems to now have found his feet at um, West Ham, Peter. And, and that front line that they're now able to put out, Skamaka, and then the three behind them of Jared Bowen, Paqueta, and then Maxwell Corne, who um, was so dangerous for, for Burnley last season, is a very good attacking line. I'm, I'm happy to have... Polina back for this one, giving the defence some protection. I think that will be a key difference. You know, we he is literally our best player. So that is a huge boost for Fulham on, on Sunday. And his presence on the pitch, I feel, will will lift the team immeasurably. Yeah, I mean, West Ham have got really good depth and they've obviously strengthened in, in the summer, as you were saying. And um, it just hasn't quite clicked for them this season. Um, they'll have to use Wolves as the turning point, but they're still in that sort of area of vulnerability aren't they um which you know you want to try and exploit and I think Fulham probably would have liked to have done the same to Newcastle because Newcastle had obviously gone on a run without a win on Saturday and obviously that didn't work out that way um but again that that helps that helps in these these types of games and, and West Ham have struggled you want to pile on the, the misery and yeah I, I completely agree with Helena we all we all know how important he is he's he's quite close to Mitrovic in terms of importance um I mean, and that's that's saying something for for a new signing to come straight into the team and, and to have that impact. Um, you know, keeping that that double act really of him and, and Harrison Reed together uh, will be the could could well be the backbone to Fulham season to their success. Um, and you know, and, and how well they do this year. Um, you know, we you know we've discussed injuries and then injuries can be decisive and injuries can can derail seasons for teams. Um, you know, and I think. The big question around Newcastle was how can Fulham cope when they don't have Polina? Because you know it seems likely that he's going to be suspended again, judging from the number of yellow cards he, he picks up. Um, and the answer was, well, we didn't really sort of get one. We just had to look at how Fulham cope without anyone. But yeah, it's it, having him back is, is really important. And um, this is the thing with, with West Ham; they're a good quality team. Um, and if, if they if it doesn't seem like say with Wolves where there was that sort of bubbling uncertainty. I don't think there's the same sentiment there with, with Moyes and the influence he has, but, but the pressure will, pressure is on, the pressure is on there. So 
they'll need to keep it on. And, and, and for Fulham, it'll be good to, to get something. And, and to be honest, I think we'll all be happy if we don't see a Panyanka in the 94th minute. God, yeah. Oh, well, terrible memory. I mean, no, only a couple of times to the London Stadium, Drew. Um, there was that uh, game in the lockdown where we lost 1-0, which was so heartbreaking. We actually played really well in the game and then Suchek scored in the 89th minute. Then Lukman hit the Penenka penalty and we all know what happened there. And then there was the one uh, back in the uh, doomed 18-19 season. And one of those evenings where I really was like, okay, we're going down here. I, I remember that was one of the kind of nail in the coffin nights for me when we went one nil up after about a minute Ryan Babel scored and then uh, West Ham scored three really kind of meek goals I believe Issa Diop um, was on the uh, score sheet that night uh, for West Ham so yeah we haven't really had any joy yet at, at the London Stadium so fingers crossed that change for Sunday it's such a I mean I know you're a stone's throw from it where you live it's such a weird ground I'm, I can't work out if I'm excited for it but at the same time, it's you get there and it is just rubbish, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's an enigma, isn't it? The the London Stadium, the surrounding area is excellent. I would say that because I live around here. But it, it, you know, the the facilities around there, and and you hear stories about the West Ham diehards still going around Green Street and towards where Upton Park used to be. They're refusing to go and you know try sample the uh, the delights of Basaba Etai pre-game and uh, things like this. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's it's that running track, isn't it? But um, get rid of that, and I think you've got a completely different stadium. But it's where it's where do you build down and all that sort of stuff. But that's their problem, and uh, and you know they're not they're not paying a lot for it, so it's a problem they can suffer with. But for us uh, as a football club, yeah, it's been uh, slim pickings in the in the two previous ones that we had. I went to the the one the last time we were there when we had fans, and I mean that was one of the worst. Uh, Fulham seasons in Premier League pop, uh, that we've ever had, but uh, it was the the heartbreak of the Lookman penalty the last time, which really hurt worse. I think uh, that season was full of uh, nearly moments, and that was another one. Um, so, in many ways, it hurt a lot more because I think the first time around we knew, you know, you're shit and you know you are is the, is the chant, isn't it? And that's what we knew. But uh, the second time around hurt a bit more. So again, this time. It feels completely different. I feel like uh, the the Moyes led West Ham uh, cycle is by no means uh, over, but they, you know, I think they're having a bit of a, a bit of a tougher time. But if you look at the games that they've uh, they've played, they've you know they've had some um, they've played some tough teams as well, same as us. So I guess it's it's slightly uh, it could be slightly misleading, but I'm happy to. Uh, I just feel a bit different this time, and if we can grab a point with pulling you back, depending on everybody else who's gone, I'd say that's absolutely a good result. Um, you know, these these the first half of the season split into two different sections, two different sort of seven or eight game sprints, and we're at the beginning of the second one where we've got bar the last couple of games with City and United, we've got games where we should be getting results from. Um, it's not it's not arrogant to be looking at that and saying that you know the wins and draws have got to come from somewhere, and I. I I'd earmark this game as a game where we we should be hoping to get a point from if we want to be staying in in the Premier League. Lookman's doing all right now in in Italy, isn't it? I think he's at Atlanta in their top of Serie A. You know, that, that's that's the extent of my Jack Collins input. So, <laughs> well, he's 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 a tidy little player. You know, he did well at Leicester last season as well. Like, I I have nothing but 
mostly good things to say for Lookman. And, and I was able to put that penalty to the back of my mind pretty quickly. It was horrible at the time, but um, I think actually it was some of his performance later on in the season, but we, he was literally the only, we were relying on him for goals mm. basically because Cavallari wasn't scoring. It was all about Lookman, wasn't it? And they, teams were just able to realise if you just double up on Lookman, there's no one else in this team that's basically capable of scoring a goal, um, which made life um, extremely, extremely tough for him. Uh, I mean, Peter, just um, looking forward in terms of um, selection, it's hard for us to know anything right now. One player that I'd be interested to know if he's going to continue his place in the starting eleven was Dan James. Um, he was uh, chosen to play um, on the wings on Sunday. Do you see him keeping his place in the team? Uh, I imagine it was pretty slim pickings for him to do anything on, on, on Saturday. Yeah, it was a rough old shift for him, wasn't he? He works very hard. Um, and I didn't think he suited being a wing back in that second half. It really just it didn't really work. I think just, just spacing, I think, was the main problem with between him and Tosin. There was just the Newcastle were just going down that side so many times. And yeah, and you can't really judge him on it because it's not his position. But um, yeah, I, it's an interesting one because Niskins Cabana came off the bench and was really good. You know, worked hard, really good assist as well. Um, Deppard Overeed obviously scored. So I suppose it would depend how, well, I think it will depend on the fullback situation potentially, because if say it is Mbappé on one side or it's Levin Kazawa on, on the other, if he's fit, then I think Silva would probably look to use Deppard Overeed because, you know, we all know why, because of his off the ball work. Not that the others don't do it. And as I said, Cabano, Cabano's doing that pretty well as well this season. Um, that Deckard O'Reed has that sort of experience, can can slot in as a more wing-back. It's better with his positional sense, I think, from what we've seen. Obviously, we have seen more of him there. Um, but uh, it, I, I, for Dan James' sake, I hope he gets a, you know, if he, when he gets a start that it's in, with 11 players and, you know, in a team that's reasonably solid rather than one round so we can get a sense of how good he could be because we can see what he's very good at, which is clearly his, his speed and going beyond the fullback. I want to see more of his, his end product and, and see exactly how much he can offer and how he can link up with Mitrovic. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be to do with the fullbacks, personally. Yeah, well, we'll wait and see, really, on, on it. It's it's hard to preview uh, Fulham's starting lineup when so much is in the air. Uh, is it Friday, the press conference with Silver Peter? Uh, I believe so, yes. At some point on Friday, uh, check check Peter's Twitter and I'm sure Silver will say something that will give us a bit of a clue as to the starting lineup on Sunday. Don't believe it's on the telly, by the way. Um, it's only moved for Europe, so uh, I'm not sure how you'll watch it if you're in the UK. I imagine it'll be easy to access if you're abroad. Um, sold out away end though, should be uh, hopefully all right. We'll make the best of it. It's not the best stadium in the world. We know that. Do you know where you sit for the game, Peter? I imagine. Yeah, no, I've only been in, once up, before, in, so up in space somewhere. It, it, well, yeah. Um, yeah. So I've only been once before. It didn't go during lockdown. So I went for, I was at Bournemouth and I got horribly lost on the way out around the, the, uh, the Olympic Park. I ended up sort of climbing up the side of the swimming, swimming pool, I think, at some point. <laughs> thing is, because I left it and everyone else had gone, like all the sports had gone. It was just sort of me and it's, it's massive, this massive ocean of space. And it genu genuinely took me about 35 minutes to, to just leave the vicinity. Um, we seemed daft because, you know, it's all lit up and you can see where all, all the other humans are. But um, yeah, I got a bit lost. But yeah, in, in, in the ground, um, yeah, we're set back and it's high. I have a little monocular that I bring to games, which is very useful, especially when I'm trying to you know, see the sub warming up or whatever. 
or see who's in the cottage or just generally very useful tool to have. Um, it's probably required for the whole game when you're at West Ham. I, I need to see you watching a game through your monocular. I knew mo- most things about you, but I didn't know you brought a monocular to games. That has blown my mind as well. It actually makes so much sense, but you know, that is, a, is it high tech or is it like an old school sort of Victorian style thing? No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's my question. Like a Galilean telescope. <laughs> Winded up. Um, no, it's a tiny little thing. Um, oh, I don't know if it's high tech. It just makes me see further with one eye. Is that the right? It is a mon- monocle. It is a, not not monocle. That's something else entirely. Um, if you had a monocle, that would even that would top the monocular um, this discovery. I don't know how that would be helping you, but yeah, that's how you're so you know you strive for accuracy so much that you bring monoculars again. It's, so it's honestly so useful. Honestly, it's it's great. I guess I'm, because I'm always the... frustrated when I forget it. It's not on my bag. Yeah, so. Ah, okay. Right. Well, uh, we'll leave it there for part one. In part two, I'm going to speak to Martin Calladine. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, just Sammy here, and I am joined by investigative journalist Martin Calladine from The Ugly Game. Martin, thank you for jumping on Fulhamish. Thanks for inviting me. So Martin, um, the reason that we asked you on is because yesterday you published a blog all about Fulham's new official CFD trading partner. You may not have known that Fulham need an official CFD trading partner, or indeed that we have one, but we do. They are called Titan Capital Markets. Now I'll admit, Martin, that I saw Fulham's tweet about this. And I glazed over it and scrolled past it like I normally do when I see Fulham or any football club uh, announce a myriad of different partners that they had. Didn't give it a second's thought and I carried on with my day. That was until I saw your tweet exposing exactly who is Titan Capital Markets and the more and more I read your initial thread, which is on Twitter, and then the corresponding article um, I was increasingly shocked. Now, I appreciate not everyone listening to this podcast is on Twitter or will have seen your thread. So please may you give us a bit of a summary uh, about what you found out when, unlike most of us, you decided to scratch beneath the surface and uh, and look into who exactly are Titan Capital Markets. Sure. Well, um, I- I'm always a little bit suspicious of any um, new kind of corporate partnership, especially crypto ones. But if they're things to do with financial kind of mechanics and CFDs are a, a kind of a leveraged product that allows people to bet on the future value of of um, assets. So always a little bit skeptical about them. But I had five minutes and I kind of looked at them. And the first thing I noticed was that they didn't have any social channels, you know, no, no Twitter, no Facebook, which is a bit unusual for a consumer facing trading business. Um and so I kind of went on their website and I, I looked up a little bit about the company and it just took me five minutes and I saw, well, they're actually founded at the end of March this year. So that's you know already a little bit of a, a red flag because you know, if they haven't even been trading for a year, how does the club know that they're a, you know, a, a reasonable company to partner with? But actually, the thing that really astonished me was that if you spend literally one minute on their website, it becomes immediately obvious there is a deep problem with their company. And all you've got to do to see that is do what I did and go onto their section where they display their trading results. They say they have two in-house trading teams whose kind of performance you can copy. So you'll get the same returns as them. And they publish on the website uh, the returns of these two teams for uh, January to June. Uh, and that's a bit odd because, of course, you know the company was only founded at the end of March. So the first three months of those results are either entirely fictional or achieved somewhere else, not at this company. 
And while I was kind of taking that in, I then saw, well, one of these teams is claiming to have achieved 30% returns a month, every month for six months, and, prote- and says that they can offer you a guaranteed monthly financial return, guaranteed 14%, which is just absolutely mind-boggling. If you think about what you get on your kind of, maybe you've got an ISA or whatever, you get a couple of percent if you're lucky. 14% annualizes at over 240%. So what they're saying is we can guarantee that as a minimum, if you give us your money, it will be more than tripled in a year. And so here we are, a new company just signed up, just launched, publishing fictional um, kind of trading results and promising to triple your money in a year. (laughs) It ought to be immediately obvious to absolutely everybody that there's no way that's true, no way that's legit. And so that was the first point at which I I phoned Fulham and said, well, they said, oh, put your questions in writing to us and we'll get back to you. So that was Monday and I sent them a whole load of questions. And at that point, I was already convinced that, okay, leave it there. It, it's clear that they've done something wrong here. These guys are, are wrong and, and move on. But I then made the kind of the, the mistake that destroyed the rest of my afternoon, which was, well, maybe I'll just have a, a little further look into them. Um, and I found out that, in fact, Titan does have one social channel and it's a telegraph room, which it uses to advertise seminars for the company. And that's right. kind of unusual because, you know, telegram rooms are really, you know, that's the home of, of crypto scammers um, and not really a place you'd find respectable financial trading companies recruiting for for new customers. And the strange thing is they these seminars that they advertise, this is an Australian company, by the way, which I should have said, they, they claim to be regulated in Australia and Canada. Um, and their seminars all start at 2 a.m., Australia or kind of East Coast Australia time, and they helpfully publish the times that that will equate to in Ghana, Ivory Coast, Uganda, and then Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand. So it's very clear that they targeting quite unusually because CFDs are quite a um, you know a kind of a favourite of home traders, um, quite a sophisticated product, but they seem to be purposely targeting people in developing world, particularly Africa and Southeast Asia. And I looked a little bit further, and there's this really bizarre video of a kind of a meeting held in Ghana where they've got this room with a, a pastor who's introducing members of the company and saying, you know, like, um, you must open your eyes. These people will give you control of your financial freedom. It, it's almost like a prayer meeting. And everybody there is in branded uh, Titan T-shirts. And I thought, what's this all about? And then it kind of all began to make sense when I found uh, one of their actual presentations that they give. And it details this intricate tier of kind of marketing and recruiting rewards. And basically, what it turns out is this company is a, is a giant kind of a multi-level marketing machine. Now, um, if these things actually offer real products and services, you call them market, multi-level marketing machines, if actually they don't seem to do that, but rely primarily on um, kind of recruitment fees to keep them going, that tends to be indicative of a pyramid scheme. Yeah. So it's not clear at this stage which of these things it is. But it is perfectly evident that this company, um, which is targeting people in the developed world, which has a, a kind of an MLM structure and which offers impossible returns, it is, has more red flags than almost any company I've ever seen a, comp- a football club partner with. And it's hard to avoid the conclusion for me that, that football, that, sorry, that Fulham have really, really messed up here. So my question is, have Fulham messed up? Have Fulham actually not done some due diligence here? And had they done that, they'd have gone, oh, this is definitely not a partner we don't want to trade with. Or they've seen some money. They've seen an offer on the table for a a CFD trading partner, which I can't imagine there's a clamoring market for that name. And I've just thought, we'll do it. Hope no one notices. And 
take the money and run, close our eyes and not really get deep into the devil that clearly is there. Like you say that maybe Fulham have messed up, but I'm just saying cynically and with all of these partnerships that are clear in football and we know about the Asian facing bookmakers that are so prevalent within football now, just take the money and yep. run and, and don't, and don't question it. Just, just let them get on with it. And if they want to be our trading partner for some kind of leverage, uh, some kind of kudos, because they can say, look how legit we are. We're, we're partnered with Fulham and Fulham can just go, don't know. Bye. Do what you like. Well, it's a really interesting question. I think it depends on what you, on what you think of as being a club's responsibility. So for example, um, yeah, Man City last year partnered with a crypto company that turned out, in fact, not even to be a company, to literally not exist and to be a front for what appears to be an ongoing fraud. And there's no question that they failed there because they didn't even properly establish who they were doing business with, which is you know, a basic failure of, of money laundering regulations. In, in Fulham's case, it, it seems probably true that there is a a properly established company which has a a license of some sort and who has a named person who runs the company and so in that sense they probably met their bare minimum obligations but if you're expecting your commercial team to review partners for quality for the likelihood of them being around in 12 months time for the potential damage they might to bring to your brand by not operating at a, in a level or a way that that would um reflect well on them then there's no question it's a failure because, as I said, you know, regardless of whether you think it's predatory, the, the way that they target and reward people in the developing world, the as I said, the, the, their publishing on the website returns that cannot possibly have been achieved by definition and which um, are, are literally impossible. And that being so, you know, someone at Fulham should have spotted that. They really should. Like any barely financially literate person should have immediately seen that that was not possible. And that would have taken one minute review of the website, which I don't think there's any excuse for any commercial team not to have done. And that should have raised questions in their mind, because if they're making obviously false claims about what they can do, then that's obviously going to rebound on the club. So have they done anything wrong legally? No. Have they failed to meet what I would think of as you know, like the 15 minute test for checking out clubs uh so check out partners no i don't think they've done that i think they have messed up there they're not the only club that's done that of course it happens all the time and you like you say the, these these clubs are, are continually approached by um by companies all the time with a whole range of very attractive sounding financial packages um and you know to, to a great degree most clubs are are vulnerable to doing what's been done but i i, I really don't think you should let fulham off the hook for what's happened here no, I certainly wasn't necessarily saying that Fulham should be off the hook. I almost think it's more deplorable, the attitude that I was giving, that they would almost turn a blind eye um, to this, as opposed to what you were saying, which is maybe more negligence. I guess we'll never know deep inside of Fulham what that motivation was. How dangerous, though, is a company like this using Fulham to give themselves some sort of credibility, which your research has clearly found that they don't deserve or, or merit. How dangerous is it that they're using football to give themselves some sort of platform with which to build this business, presuming that, as you found out, that the returns it's offering, the structure that the company's got it, it is totally flawed? Well, I think this is the kind of the ugly secret of modern English football is that an enormous number of the of the sponsors are using it 
um, not to reach UK consumers, but to reach people around the world. You know, we talked about a Asian facing bookmakers who you know are, are literally using it to evade the law in those countries in which they operate, uh, particularly crypto companies, you know, people like uh, Socios with their fan tokens. You know, if, if someone from the UK gets involved in that, you know, spends 20 or 30 quid on those tokens, it's not it's unlikely to be the end of the world if they lose all of that. But what a lot of these companies do is is target um, places where, you know, the, the economies are not nearly as strong. People don't have that kind of wealth um, and where increasingly particularly crypto, but other kind of financial investment products are seen as a potential kind of way out of poverty or a hedge against, you know, difficult times in, you know, in inflation. You know, like say, Socios have always targeted um, Turkey and uh, Brazil because, you know, there's a mix of a massive football culture with difficult economic times. And so, you know, while for the clubs, it might mean a couple of hundred thousand pounds and for the UK consumers, probably no significant loss. The possibility is that they are being used by people who may end up costing people their life savings in countries where they can really ill afford that. And at a time where football clubs are struggling to take any responsibility, even for what they project on their own fans, I, I think we really need to look much deeper than that and say that you know football is making itself a willing partner in, in, in targeting some of the poorest people around the world and, and not even taking any basic steps to assure themselves that these people mean well or well-structured businesses. You know, I, I think there's a fairly reasonable chance that anybody investing with Titan will probably lose all of their money. Um, and that's unlikely to be many people in the UK. Um, but there could be people in Ghana right now who've already given the money who may never see it again. So I think it is a really serious problem, but one that football just doesn't recognise at all. One thing that I found fascinating from your article was uh, a quote from their CEO, uh, Howard Yan, um, who, uh, who took the words of Isaac Newton and, and made them his own. Yes. yes, he used the famous, you know, if, if I've seen further than others, it's by standing on the shoulder of giants, which uh, that appears on, on uh, coins and on, on Oasis albums. But he happily passed that off uh, as his own majestic kind of thought. Um, there's no evidence that Howard, who, who, by the way, has a very limited digital footprint, has seen further than anybody else. But that was one of the things that also got me interested in them. I thought that kind of just like absolutely shameless repurposing of one of the most famous quotes in human history as his own um, suggested that these people... People might not be everything they say they are. Oh, it's it's utterly, I mean, distressing, but also fascinating, also kind of laughably shocking, really. Um, all, everything that you have um, uncovered here, Martin. Um, I, I was reading your articles, your tweets yesterday, just almost with head in hands at how on earth these people can be linked officially with our football club, one that we do hold to higher degrees of moral responsibility we like to think than other institutions in our lives there will be some fans though that will say look if fulham gets an extra couple of hundred thousand pounds um we expect fulham to buy players and we'll criticize them when they don't spend millions of pounds on a backup center defensive midfielder we want them to have lower ticket prices because we've been complaining about that all season and then suddenly fulham have found a way to get effectively a free who knows, quarter of a million pounds. And now we're complaining about this. There will be some that say that they don't care that Fulham have partnered with a slightly ropey, to, to put it loosely, um, institution. Do, do you agree at all with that sentiment that actually some fans would rather just bury their head in the sand and if it gives their club some money, then not our problem? Obviously, quite a number of fans do think that and a number have been 
tweeting to let me know that's what they think. Um, and yeah, there's not really anything I can say to that. I, I understand why people don't want to feel like their club's being picked out for kind of condemnation here, um, because you know everyone, everyone, most clubs are doing stuff like this. And if you spend five minutes looking at the commercial arrangements of almost any club at random, you'll find stuff that doesn't sit right. And I, I think you know rather than trying to persuade people of that, because you know it is ultimately the same attitude that that Newcastle fans had that said you know like. I don't care where that money from. I don't care that Mohammed bin Salman has had people murdered and continues to have executions um, and runs the country as an absolute dictatorship as long as we win football games. Um, you know, that that's the the ultimate end of that argument. And people might say, well, no, I don't quite draw the line there. And that's fine. I, I draw it in different places, obviously, to, to some of your audience will. But I think the best place thing to do, rather than to try and persuade those people on a case-by-case basis, is, is point out that because this is happening so widely, it needs proper regulation. It's clear that clubs won't do it themselves because they're under such pressure financially and you know, and they put that pressure down onto their commercial team. And it's clear that at a league uh, level, an administrative level, there's no desire to do this at all, except potentially to try and you know, restrict those kind of third party kind of linked arrangements and sponsorships that maybe um, Man City or, or Newcastle have. So it has to happen at a higher level. I, I think that, you know, if we're talking about an independent regulator through the, the, the Crouch Report or, or some other way, this needs reviewing properly and taking seriously, just like, you know, the attitude to gambling does, because, you know, incrementally i think it's really harmful to the way we think about our clubs if we come to see them as just machines for winning games and that you know that there's no social value to them at all that we don't expect them to to stand for anything or to demonstrate um kind of a higher level of morality than than your common or garden um company but you know People won't always agree with that. And that's absolutely fine. I'm not going to try and persuade everyone of that. And we should say, Martin, before that we finish, that you have reached out to Fulham and to Titan Capital Markets, both for comments, but uh, both not got back to you uh, at the time of recording. Correct. I spoke to Fulham on two consecutive days and sent them a number of emails and uh, emailed Titan on a couple of occasions. Fulham have promised to get back to me, um, but they haven't as yet. Of course, when they do have some explanation, I'll be happy to make that available. Okay. Well, if you want to read the article in full, and I fully suggest that you do, there's only so much that can be conveyed in a conversation on a podcast. Um, head to Martin's blog. It's theuglygame.wordpress.com. You can find Martin on Twitter at uglygame, uh, and you'll find his threads uh, and uh, links to that article pretty close to the top of his Twitter if you go right now. Martin, thank you so much for coming on Fulhamish. Amazing investigative work thank you for spending five minutes down a rabbit hole on google which is more than i did um i think it says a lot for maybe our respective attitudes that i scrolled past this announcement and you went that doesn't look right i guess that's why you're the investigative journalist and i'm not so thank you for coming on fulhamish and enlightening us on what seems like quite a problematic relationship it's an absolute pleasure thank you so much for inviting me Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here, back with Peter and Drew. Thank you so much to Martin Calladine for giving up his time uh, to chat to us. Mind-blowing stuff really there. Incredible research um, and incredibly poor due diligence, it seems like, from the club. Um, I, I feel like, you know, I might get a couple of people message us, message me, saying that, you know, why are we always reflecting on the negative sides of the club? Personally, I just feel that like we are happy to talk about positive things about the club. We are happy to talk about negative things, negative things about the club. I don't think that we should all just 
say it's sunshine and roses at Fulham, but equally we don't want to be an outlet that only concentrates on the bad things either. We had the Fulham Foundation on a few weeks ago and they talked about their amazing refugee program. I'm more than happy to sing the club's praises when it's deserved. But I don't think that just because we're fans, and this is my personal opinion, you might disagree with them, that we should just um, bury our head in the sands on it. If and, and my opinion is that the people running the club are running our club. That's That's how it works. And so we are more than entitled as fans to hold them to account and question if they make decisions that, in my opinion, don't put the club in a good light. I think we have the right to do that as fans and we have the right to do it as human beings is to question and to um, doubt whether something's good or right or proper or moral. That's that's my opinion on it. And look, feel free to disagree. I'm happy to hear what you guys think um, about all of this and whether you enjoy us covering it or not um, is totally your call. But that, that is exactly why we do it as, as Fulhamish. And Peter, I know that you're looking into some of this uh, stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as as Martin and then and there's a lot of investigative journalists that are looking into all sorts of of dealings not just in Fulham it seems like Fulham has uh, uh, bared the brunt of a lot of um, investigation in, in the past few weeks and, and we are far from the only club dabbling into partnerships with companies that not necessarily illegal, it's hard to know, but a questionable at that, the latest. I know that there was one advertised in the hoardings at Leicester's game on Monday night against Forest that a few journalists um, called out. Um, Martin Calladine, Philippe Claire, definitely worth a follow though, both of them, um, if, if this kind of stuff and, and this weird money-led side of football is something that interests you. Um, both Martin and, uh, and Philippe's blogs um, definitely cover this stuff all the time. Right, let's do uh, a couple of questions and uh, this will catch on uh, before we end. Uh, this one from Tom Burrows. Uh, he says, Hi lads, a very disappointing result against Newcastle, which clearly showed one thing, a lack of depth, which absolutely isn't abnormal for a newly promoted side unless you sign... Uh, 578,902,580 new players as Forrest did, I suppose. Um, still confident we can stay up as there's so much quality there generally. And I believe in Marco Silva. However, as per a previous piece of yours, I do now think it's time to look at free agents for the central defensive midfield role. Uh, Radoja or Drinkwater would surely do a job. What's the risk? One year contract with an option to extend. Um, Peter, I know that uh, this was discussed a bit on Sunday um, with Xhaka, um, the obvious answer that, uh, that that went to Wren. Do you think this is something that Fulham will consider with the, the depth now at central defensive midfield? Because I personally don't see Fulham going down this road. It's, it's a very good question because, you know, the, there's the element of, is the, the backup good enough? And as we were saying before, Chalabas had two bad games here. Um, I guess we haven't really seen a, a full game because he, you know, made that tackle and... For me, I remember you know watching him in the warm up because obviously that was a curiosity. You know, how was he going to do? And you could see he was really he seemed to be quite pumped up, like really quite you know I'm up for this sort of game. And then does a tackle that literally reflects that, as in like I'm gonna make my mark here. If you're going to sign someone, sure it seems like it's free, so no money. But then there is money. There's there's agent fees. There's wages. Um, you've got to get them to agree to the single year deal. Um, and you, you've got to balance your squad. So again, you've got to balance those you have within it, um, you know, how happy they are, things like that. And all of that said, 
All of that said, Fulham were looking for another central midfielder, my understanding was, in, in, in the summer, looking for more of a number eight as opposed to a six. Um, Husamara, for example, was, was someone they were looking at. Um, so, you know, they've also re-registered Josh Onoma, who was basically a West Brom player until, you know, the final seconds of the, the deadline um, and the uh, paperwork issue there. So, um, I may have just contradicted myself. They could do it. They could do it. But I think for, what I'm trying to say is it's going to be the right person. It's going to be the right player. They've clearly been quite specific in the type of players they wanted to get. And if you're bringing someone in, you've got to make sure that they're playing. We've seen, like, for example, Shane Duffy's come in and Shane Duffy's not played. And it's hard to see when Shane Duffy's going to play. You know, um, a good option to have. But at the same time, you know, I can be really my words when we find out that the entire every single centre-back has picked up some kind of knock uh, for the weekend. But, um, yeah, because when you look at Fulham's team, it's going to be Reed and Palina, um for most of the season, with, unless they get an injury. And clearly there is potentially a worry for injury. Reed's picked up injuries before, um, but it's got, to be, it's got to be the right player. And you've got to say, are they going to give us more than what Nathaniel Chalobah will be? Because if they come in and do what Chalobah will do, um, then you know, you're going to upset the squad, you'll accept him and, and squad and anything else. So, and I know there'll be people screaming at the radio going, yes, he definitely would. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'm not as, you know, as I was saying before, I think it, I think it does apply to Chalibur as well in that, yes, he was poor against Crawley. So too was Issa Diop, but Issa Diop looked great, looked good against Nottingham Forest. Um, and I do wonder, it'd be nice to actually see Chalibur get a bit more time, but I, you know, whether two bad games in a row does for him, we'll see. But maybe, maybe. Basically, long and the short of it, it's got to be the right player. And as we're talking about a hypothetical, um, I wouldn't want... Who were the names you said? Danny Drinkwater? Oh, and um, Ridojo, I think. Hang on. Ridojo, I don't know so much about. So maybe, maybe there is a maybe there's a right option there. But if it is something that maybe they want to look at in January and then they get someone who actually could be longer term or would have a better resale, then that might make far more sense than just someone on the short term with a wage wage bill to add to the wage bill and then limit what you can do in, in January. Well, especially there's not actually that many games before January now. Like we have five, uh, seven, seven more games before the world cup. And then obviously there's a couple at Christmas. I know that's a sizable chunk of the premier league season, but still there's not as many games as there normally would be, um, before January. And you can get someone that you actually might want in January. Um, and, and no doubt that'll be an element of the pitch that Fulham will look to, to strengthen. I think if we are signing anyone, um, in January, I mean, Tony can never resist uh, a couple of January bargains. I also think there's a point to make about you know, there's a lot of the conversation is we haven't got a lot of depth and that's not true. We haven't got a lot of qu- perceived quality in that depth. We've got, you know, we've got two players in, in each fullback position. We might not be particularly happy with the replacements that we've got, but we do have it. And it is pertinent point in the sense of what Peter says there's one space left in the 25 man squad. So technically that depth is there. It, it's taken, it's full. Um, so it's just, uh, and again, it's, and, and it goes back to what we said earlier. You can't, we can't judge anybody too harshly on, you know, in Babu Kazawa, whoever, on their appearances so far because there's such a small sample size. So we have this, we have the depth. It's the perceived quality of that depth, and that perceived quality is yet to be realised accurately. I don't think we can really make a judgment on it. So it's one of those sort of difficult things. So I don't, I equally don't think that anything will happen with the free agent market. Although George Roster's piece was fantastic, and I urge you to check it out. 
Uh, this one from Chris Hunt. He says, hi, fellas. I'm a long time listener of the pod. Uh, it really breaks up the monotony of a daily commute twice a week and have even come and said good day to most of you during some live recordings. Love what you're doing. Uh, was hoping this Thursday club, you could do the Paul Allen project a favor. Uh, the Paul Allen project is a startup charity. Claire Parrish has created with myself and Avas Malik as coll- collaborators. I have heard about the Paul Allen and uh, project and, and Claire has spoken to it. We're hoping to get Claire on uh, at some point um, to discuss it. Um, the ultimate aim of it is to combine our skills and teach as many people as we can at Fulham and the wider community, just how easy it is to save a life. But just like any startup, we need some help. So this Sunday, the 9th of October, I'm going to be running the Royal Parks Half Marathon on behalf of the charity. Um, if you could mention this on the pod and provide the links below for people to donate if they can, myself, Avas and Claire would be super grateful. Um, so more than happy to do that. Uh, I will put a link in the description of this podcast uh, to Paul's uh, Just Giving page. Best of luck uh, with the Half Marathon um, on Sunday, Paul, uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll absolutely smash it. And yeah, the Paul Allen project is, is a wonderful, uh, initiative started by Claire and we will, um, have Claire on at some points to discuss it. Uh, when she gets a moment, she's a very, very busy woman. Uh, but we're, uh, we're hoping to get her on, uh, at some point in, in the next few weeks, um, for sure. Um, he's also provided a, this will catch on, but I'm going to, I'm going to save this, that, uh, Chris's, this will catch on potentially for next week. Cause we're running a little bit short on time. Um, and, uh, hopefully we can get an update from you, Chris, on how the, uh, the run goes on Sunday. Absolute best of luck. Right. This will catch on one, uh, this will catch on this week. And it is from Daniel Lemprez. He says, Hey guys, I wanted to present to you with a, this will catch on for our towering center back Tosin Adarabayo. Yes. He is a very popular man on this will catch on. The song is the absolute banger dancing on my own by Robin. (laughs) I can already see where this one's going and I like it. Uh, he's submitted the lyrics, which I might read afterwards, but I will let the song do, uh, the work first of all. Uh, so this is dancing on my own by Robin for Tosin Adrobio. He thinks on the corner, right past your keeper. Oh, he made marks your striker. You can't get past him. Oh, he says he's six foot five. But he looks like he is 12 feet tall. Ooh, toasted Adorabio. <laughs> the, the ending is exactly what I wanted. It, it, the whole thing was an excellent build up to it. But has he recorded that in the Mariana Trench? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know where he recorded it or what device he used. Um, the, the lyrics are, in case you couldn't hear them, he bangs home a corner right past your keeper. Oh, he man marks your striker. You can't get past him. Oh, he says he's six foot five, but he looks like he's 12 foot tall. Tosin Adarabio. Um, Peter, your thoughts? I know, it's a perfect fit though, syllable wise, isn't it? With Tosin Adarabio. It's, it's nice. It's good. Will it catch on now? I don't know. I don't know. It seems a bit complicated, but... Um. I think that Daniel is onto something here. Like, I think that the last line fits wonderfully. I also think that like dancing on my own by Robin is a like the 
perfect little niche of pop song that could become a football chant. You know, we've, we've seen American boy by Estelle now become a chant. And I think that dancing on my own is kind of iconic enough, old enough, retro enough that it can do that. I maybe think the lyrics need some work, but I think you're onto something. I can't see those lyrics that he's chosen being the ones that make it, but I think there's something here. I think if you can let the hive mind work, then I think we might be onto something here, Drew, because it, it does tick a lot of boxes. Yeah, I agree with you completely. That's uh, it, I like the uh, the idea of introducing a new pop song into the the football chant lexicon. I can't I can't see somebody like Don Betts doing the little trill at the end there, but we will have to trim that one down and uh, and make it a bit more you know masculine. Uh, but uh, other than that, yeah, I think it, it's got all of the hallmarks. Yeah, I like it, Daniel. Thank you for sending it in. And as ever, questions or this will catch on entries to hello at fullamish.co.uk. We absolutely love getting them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a redacted section of the Fulhamish podcast. It's just Sammy here, not with Drew and Peter. This is the part of the podcast where we pick the podcast name, normally quite an innocent part of the show, where we ask the people in the Fulhamish community on Telegram uh, to give us a name for the show, uh, a little perk that we give to the people in the community. Uh, the name that we chose, um, we sought a little bit of legal advice, and um, we were told that we could get sued for it, uh, which is not something that we want to happen. Um, so I've decided to re-record the section. Uh, <laughs> if you want to hit, find out what the name was, it was a great suggestion from someone called Bart McKay. If you're in the Telegram group, you'll see it. If not, then you won't. Part of the name was Hammers, which obviously links to our game this weekend. The other part was what would have got us in trouble. Um, Hey-ho, you live and learn. So uh, there were some other great suggestions in there. Um, that hopefully won't get us sued. Joe Johnson said top half Titans. Muzzy said hopefully popping bubbles. Ross said pack the binoculars. Could have been monoculars, uh, given what we talked about earlier in the show. But we're going to go with a nice, safe, but still very good name from Nathan O'Donnell, which is Pal Nidia, uh, in relation to our Portuguese maestro, who will be back for the game on Sunday. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed uh, the drama of a redacted section of the podcast back to the live podcast as it goes and I'm pretty sure we don't say anything in the rest of the podcast which could get us sued so on with the show Also, one point from the uh, Telegram while I'm just looking through it that we haven't addressed is that Dennis Adoy is actually going to be playing Champions League knockout football. You love to see it. Charles Joe's brought that up in the group. Yes, Dennis Adoy with a 100% record in the Champions League has played every minute for Club Bruges um, as they storm uh, the Champions League group stage. So um, very well done to Dennis Adoy. Um, not good enough to play for Fulham in the championship at right back, but clearly good enough for the Champions League. Not sure what on earth is going on there, but yeah, big congrats to Dennis. Um, hugely deserved. Uh, and that'll do for the Thursday Club today. Thank you very much to my guest, Peter Rutzler, as ever. Thank you. No, thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure. And Drew, thank you for stepping in. Yep. Thanks for uh, telling me to take my bib off. Uh, I will chuck it back on and ready uh, whenever you next need me. Ah, oh, thank you very much. Okay, the pod will return Monday evening. It should be up Tuesday morning, uh, reacting to the West Ham game that is on Sunday, 2pm kickoff, if you're heading. Hopefully see you there and enjoy it. Drew, we're going to the Crate Bar, is it? Yeah, Crate Brewery. Um, so it's a brewery and it serves pizza. Uh, it's typical East London, which is why I like to chuck my beanie on and go in there. 
Okay, right. We're heading to the Crate Brewery beforehand. Uh, so if you're going, enjoy. If not, hopefully uh, you're able to watch it and we can get three points. And the Thursday Club will be back this time next week. So until then, have a great one. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites.